All right, we continue our series through last day events. And I mentioned last time, this is kind of a part two from what we talked about last time. Last time, two weeks ago, we discussed the 144,000. We saw them in Revelation chapter 7, Revelation 14, and we identified them as the last people uh, who are faithful to Jesus in the last days, a symbolic number of all the people alive when the Lord returns who are going with Jesus. And we said it sure looks like they're the same as the great multitude, and their robes are washed white in the blood of the Lamb. You know, as we talk about this subject of the last generation, probably for many of you it brings up uh, a certain set of beliefs and ideas connected to the last generation. Uh, in our church, we've called it last generation theology or final generation theology. Do any of those names sound familiar? Um, you'll probably recognize some of the concepts as we go along. And just as a disclaimer from the very beginning, um, as I've studied this topic, I have come to the decision and the belief that last generation theology, as it's commonly referred to, is not an accurate biblical teaching. Um, that's okay if you disagree. Uh, I hope you'll consider what I have to share this morning. Uh, but I want to talk about why it's important to discuss these things. Um, but I do recognize that there are many sincere and wonderful believers who profess these ideas, uh, and that's okay. Um, but I want to take a look at it this morning, and to be honest, we could spend a year talking about the subjects I'm going to be introducing today, right? So we're not going to answer all the questions that you may have. I may raise more questions than I answer. Hopefully that's not the case. But I want you to at least become a little bit more familiar with some of these ideas. Now normally, as is our custom and tradition, we love to get into the Bible and study the Bible deep and thoroughly. Amen? Amen. Now, what you'll find, this topic is often discussed in the context of the Bible, but it often is discussed using various quotations from the writings of Ellen White. We believe and appreciate her writings. Amen? Amen. You're going to see a lot more of her writings. I, I normally just stick to the Bible because she said, Stick to the Bible, study the Bible, talk about the Bible. That's, that's what she was pointing towards. Uh, but in order to better understand some of this topic today, I'm going to be sharing a lot more than I normally do from her writings because I want you to see a different perspective than is perhaps generally presented when it comes to this topic. And for some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just hang on there will be important and valuable concepts, even if you've never heard of anything that I'm going to talk about today. So today is a little bit different. Is that okay, though? Yes. That's all right? Okay, so let me just summarize as I understand it. And there are a lot of wrinkles within this particular group of ideas and teachings. But last generation theology essentially teaches that God has been slandered by Satan, and we would certainly agree to that. Um, who says that his law cannot be kept. It is taught by this theology that God can only be vindicated through the last generation. And the last generation achieved this by living sinless lives, achieving perfect obedience to God's law, overcoming exactly 
as Jesus did. And when that happens, and only when that happens, will Jesus return to the world. This has been taught um, by a number of people. It's never been official teaching within our church, but I have a very good book on the sanctuary by M. L. Andreessen. Explains all those sacrifices that are so hard to understand. But towards the end of the book, he presents some of these ideas, uh, which I believe take it a little bit too far. Um, do any of these ideas sound familiar to you now that I'm describing it a little bit more? Yeah, some of you are, are nodding your heads, yeah. So just from the very beginning, let me share a few of the concerns that I have with this idea as it relates to the final generation. I believe that there is a lot of truth, but it's mixed with some things that I believe are error. I believe it falsely represents the gospel and what Christ accomplished on the cross. Um, I believe we'll see that today. And I believe we'll see it also tends to focus our attention away from Jesus and his perfect life, and it becomes very focused on us. Because if Jesus can't come back until us, the last generation, gets perfect, then he's not. it's going to be a very long time. But it also causes us to get concerned. If somebody is not living perfectly, they're holding up the return of Jesus, and we become critical against them. Um, now, obviously, those who profess this theology, that's not their intent at all. But I think you'll find that this is often the result, uh, whether or not it has been intended. And it also leads very easily to discouragement, fear, despair, because my life never matches that perfect, absolute perfection, right? I, I want to share a little testimony. This is from a man who's now a pastor, but he's, he's writing. His name's Sam. N nobody you know, not Pastor Sam. That's Sam Smith. Uh, nobody you know. But he, he says this, I spent most of my teenage years trying to be perfect. I tried to have only pure thoughts and to conquer my temper and other character flaws. After all, God was relying on me to overcome sin. I didn't want to delay his coming any longer. And I knew that the time was coming when probation would close and we would be without a mediator. I had to be sinless by then. Although this theology did spare me from the consequences of a typical teenage rebellion, last generation theology can be just as, if not more, harmful emotionally and spiritually, Sam writes. Even though we were told that we could overcome sin through Christ's power, the focus was not on Jesus. I focused on my own behavior. How was I performing? Isn't that what the whole universe was supposedly focused on? Every time I messed up, I knew I would be lost unless I repented and started again from scratch. That was not a joyful Christian experience. It was miserable. I desperately wanted to be perfect so that I could be a part of the last generation. Maybe some of you can identify with some of the words from Sam. Feeling that you're never good enough and that you're always at risk of losing your salvation being frustrated, trying to start over and, and over again. You know, there are some interesting similarities between the ideas in last generation theology and other groups in our world. Certain sects within Judaism also believe that for the Messiah to come, someone has to live and keep the law perfectly. 
or other variations believe that the Sabbath must be kept perfectly just for one day or for two Sabbaths within Judaism, and then the Messiah will come. It seems that this is almost a human nature. The Lord has been delaying his coming. It's been a long time. What's the problem? It must be because we haven't achieved a certain standard yet. Now, some of you might be already thinking of certain passages and quotes and questions that you'll have. We may not hit all of those, but I invite you to talk to me because I have about 10 times more material that I could present, but I can't present for time. Amen? So I would love to discuss these things further. But let's talk a little bit about these ideas. Where did it come from? M.L. Andreessen was a key figure, but also Ellie Wagner. Some of you remember Jones and Wagner from uh, Adventist history. And there are also people today, wonderful Adventists who profess and teach this theology. But let me read to you from this book that I have in my office. It says, It is in the last generation of men living on the earth that God's power unto sanctification will stand fully revealed. The demonstration of that power is God's vindication. It clears him of any and all charges which Satan has placed against him. It is in the last generation that God is what? Vindicated. And Satan is defeated. So what he's saying is Satan was not defeated ultimately at the cross. God is relying upon us to get it right so that Satan can be shown false. And thus to make the demonstration complete, Continuing on, God hides himself. The sanctuary in heaven is closed. The saints cry to God day and night for deliverance, but he appears not to hear. God's chosen ones are passing through Gethsemane. Seemingly, they must fight their battles alone. And these ideas kind of strike fear into our hearts. Oh, and in reality, as we think about what the Bible teaches and what an accurate understanding of Mrs. White's writing teaches, we should be serious about the last days. Amen? We shouldn't treat it casually, too casually, right? There's, there's that ditch where we say, oh, we're saved by grace. My choices, my attitudes, my decisions don't matter. That's one, one ditch. And the other ditch says, I have to make it happen all on my own. Right? And I'm not saying that last generation theology is saying that, but it tends toward that direction. Uh, let me read you one more here. M.L. Andreasen said, the cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven is dependent upon the cleansing of God's people on earth. Heaven can't be clean until I'm clean. Can you see why this can lead to discouragement? Um, now, we will see today, I am not at all denying that Jesus wants to give us Victory over our sins. Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man, but God is faithful, and with every temptation, he provides what? A way of escape. So we want to understand these things in balance. Okay, so here are a couple of important theological ideas, and then we're going to start looking at the evidence and seeing whether or not it fits with this teaching. Important theological ideas is that Jesus was born with the same sinful nature as us. That's important in this theology, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. The last generation in this idea will cleanse themselves of sin through perfect obedience. They will complete the atonement, 
M.L. Andreasen taught that there were three phases of atonement. Christ's perfect life, Christ's death, and he completes his atonement through us living perfectly. I will argue and suggest that Jesus paid it all. His atonement was complete. Now, it's not completely applied because people are still making their choice whether to accept his completed atonement. But provision has been made for everybody and was promised before the foundation of the world. This demonstration in this teaching, um, the demonstration of a perfect life, will refute Satan's charges against God. All right, so let's take a look at, at this for a moment. One of the ideas is that Jesus had the same nature post-fall. In other words, he, he uh, inherited a bent towards sin, just like all of us have a bent towards sin. Now, you can argue back and forth, and people discuss this, and they get too heated. My, job, my goal is not to create controversy here, but I just want to ask a couple of questions. Um, it is asserted that Christ took the exact same nature, he was exactly the same as us. If that is true, he took a bent towards sin and everything. If he is exactly the same as us, then we could also say we are exactly the same as him. But that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Are you exactly the same as Jesus? No, Jesus was different in some way. Now, I think we try and define it a little bit too specifically. And we get into a little bit of the mystery. But Jesus was different than us in some way. Um, when a baby is born, does a baby need Jesus as Savior? Does the baby need the saving blood of Jesus? Absolutely. Now, when Jesus was born as a baby, did Jesus need a Savior? No. Praise the Lord. Jesus didn't need to be saved. So, already, if your answer to those questions has a different answer, already we're, we're starting to see that there was something that was different about Jesus than us. If a baby needs the saving blood of Jesus in order to make it to heaven, and, and if Jesus did not need a Savior, to make it to heaven, that already we're starting to establish that something was different. But in any case, we could go on for a long time, but people say, well, if Jesus was different than us, then he had an advantage. And that's not fair. Well, let's think about it. Did Jesus have an advantage? Have you ever been tempted to turn stones to bread for your own benefit? No. That was a unique temptation that Jesus had that I will never have. I wish I had that, right? Were you ever tempted? Were you mocked by your enemies to call down angels to rescue you from a situation and they were mocking you saying you couldn't? Were you ever tempted to do that? I was never tempted to do that. I'll never be tempted to do that because I don't have that power. Jesus was tempted in ways we will never even dream of being able to be tempted. And Hebrews says he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Now notice this. This is powerful from the book Education. Jesus, uh, Ellen White suggests that no human 
was so fiercely beset by temptation, never bore so heavy a burden of the world's sin and pain. Nobody else had the absolute undivided attention of the devil throughout his entire life. We're not important enough to have the devil focusing on us as a special project. We just get his minions to come tempt us, right? Jesus had no advantage over us. Uh, and we'll see that the question was a little bit different even that Jesus was facing. Well, can we form a perfect character? Well, on, it depends on what you mean by that question, right? Can Jesus give us victory over sin in our life? Absolutely. And should we strive towards that? Absolutely. If you don't want to overcome sin in your life, then you need to meet Jesus, right? If you don't want to get victory over sin, then you probably need to meet the Lord because he, he needs to do a work in your life. Because if you like sin and want to hold on to it and don't want to let go of it through his power, there's a problem in our heart. Now we can admit, Jesus, I struggle. I like sin. But Lord, I want you to give me power. Amen. Right? So God wants us to overcome. He wants us to grow in grace. It's very biblical. We could go, if we had time, to Romans 6, Romans 8. Shall we continue in sin? Romans 6, that grace may abound? God forbid! But when I look at the human heart, we see our human heart is bent towards sin. And really what we're asking, can we change the bent of our human nature? No. We can't. The leopard cannot remove its spots. We can pray for a new heart, but we have to keep praying every day for that new heart experience. We can't remove the old heart until God gives us a freedom from the presence of sin completely. Notice this here. Book Steps to Christ. I love this book. It's written there. It was possible for Adam before the fall to form a righteous character by obedience to God's law. Adam was supposed to grow in grace and form a more complete and perfect character. But he failed to do this, and because of his sin and our natures are fallen, and we cannot... Excuse me, let me start this over. But he failed to do this, and because of his sin, our natures are fallen, and we cannot make ourselves righteous. Since we are sinful, unholy, we cannot perfectly obey the law. I regret that this is the case, but this is what we have. But should we strive to obey? Should we strive? Amen. Every single day. No excuses. God wants us to grow in grace. It's called sanctification. So what does the Bible mean when it talks about perfection? You know, you, you've read that passage in Matthew, uh, early part of Matthew, where it says, Be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we're like... Ooh, uh -oh. You know, the Greek word there for perfect is teleos. You may have heard of the telescope. Uh, it, teleos is related to tele, telos, which is like the, the goal you're looking through. So a telescope helps you focus in on the goal, see the goal. Teleos often carries the meaning of maturity or completeness. Maturity, completeness. And as you... As you follow this Greek word, perfection, teleos, throughout the New Testament, you see time and time again, in the writings of Paul, talking with Jesus, 
This word talks about completeness, perfection. And by the way, Christ's object lessons tell us, us we can be perfect at every phase of growth and development in our Christian par- character. Amen. So, just because sanctification is the process of a lifetime doesn't mean that we can't be perfect in Christ, complete in Christ, every step of the way. And this is good news because I don't know about you, but I make a lot of mistakes, right? And I have to keep getting down on my knees and asking for forgiveness. But there is great blessed assurance in Jesus. At every stage of the development of our life, we may be perfect. Yet if God's purpose for us is fulfilled, there will be continual what? Advancement. So is is God's purpose to just grab us in sin and leave us there? No, God wants us to keep growing. My dad would say to me, John, you're either green and growing or you're ripe and rotting. Okay? As Christians, you're either growing in Jesus or you've started to rot. Because you've become complacent and you say, well, this is the way I am and there's no changing me now. No. Always growing. Always growing. Sanctification is the work of how long? A lifetime. But you can be complete and perfect in Christ every step of the way. By the way, it's at the end or four pages later in this book that we have a a phrase or a sentence that sometimes goose people up a little bit, talking about how God's waiting for his people, his character to be perfectly represented in his people. Um, But you have to understand the context that we can be perfect in Christ at every step of the way. By the way, the next sentence on page 69, right after that one, it talks about how it's the mission of the church to proclaim the good news and the love of God. Okay, let's continue. So was the atonement complete on the cross? Or is the atonement only complete when we get our stuff together in the last days? Notice this here. When the Father beheld the sacrifice of the Son, he bowed before it in recognition of its perfection. It is enough, he said. The atonement is what? Is complete. We don't have to, God didn't have to wait to complete his atonement for us to rid ourselves of any trace of sin. Jesus on the cross accomplished the atonement. Well, let's ask the question, does the last generation refute the claims of Satan? It's, it's claimed that, that Satan said that God's law cannot be kept, and I, and I would agree with that. But when was Satan charging God with that? When did this b- beginning happen? Was it before Adam and Eve were created, or was it after they had been created? As we understand this, this This battle that first broke out, this war that first began in heaven, happened before Adam and Eve had fallen into sin. So the question really is not, can fallen, bent humanity perfectly obey God's law, but could Adam and Eve have done this? And again, I realize that these are kind of some buzzwords for some of us today. I'm not thinking that I'm going to solve all this by saying a few words today. But I want you to think about these things. When did this 
first charge, this accusation get leveled against God. It was in the very beginning. We don't know what the time was, but it was a long time ago with Lucifer in heaven before Adam and Eve had ever been created or certainly at least before they'd ever fallen into sin. Now notice this. The Desire of Ages, page 762. I love this. By his life and death, Christ proved God's justice did not destroy his mercy, but that sin could be forgiven and that the law is righteous and can be perfectly obeyed. He demonstrated that it could be perfectly obeyed. But notice this. Satan's charges were what? Refuted. Christ, in living his perfect life, however you want to think about his nature, Christ refuted the charges of Satan. Amen? Amen? This is good news. God had given man unmistakable evidence of his love. So what did Jesus accomplish on the cross? What did he do there? He did so much. And what does he offer us as a result? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 37, I'm convinced that neither height nor depth you remember that wonderful passage, nothing can separate us from the love because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 2 Corinthians 2.14, God who always leads us in triumph. He offers us triumph because of what Christ did. Revelation 3.31, he overcame and sat down on the throne. He prevailed. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He prevailed upon the cross. He was then worthy to open up the scroll. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Now, because of Christ's work, we have a way to overcome. And they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony because they loved their lives not unto death. Jesus and what he did on the cross is central to our theology and our teaching. Amen? It has to be the center what he did. And unfortunately, some of these other teachings tend to, to take away from what Christ has done and put too much emphasis on our own hearts and lives. Should we keep growing in grace? Absolutely. Does God want us to overcome? Of course he does. But it's always remembering what Jesus has done for us. Before I summarize here, and I know I've just introduced a lot of concepts, and we could do a sermon series on every one of these major points, and we still probably would have questions. But again, let's think back on some of the potential issues with some of these ideas. Um, I believe that last generation theology denies the atonement of Christ and the full significance of what it meant on the cross, that he beat Satan once and for all. I believe it diminishes the fact that Christ's death vindicated God's character at the cross and that God doesn't rely upon us to vindicate him. He has already done it himself. Satan's claims have been refuted. This theology also gives the impression that there are two different criteria for salvation. A lower bar for those who lived before the last generation, and then a very, very high bar for those who live at the end of time. Like, too bad you're alive now because entrance fees are way up here. If you died a little bit sooner, you could have 
gotten in easier. That doesn't make any sense. And that's not the outward theology, but I'm just trying to think about um, what the, the conclusions that many have come to because of these teachings. Salvation has always been through faith in Christ, through the grace of Christ. Hebrews 7.25 demonstrates that Jesus has always been able to save to the uttermost those who come to him through faith. I believe that this theology ignores the cosmic results of Christ's victory on the cross, that sin will never rise again because of what Jesus has done and not because of us. It also um, disregards some of the substitutionary atonement of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary and how he is applying it to us and falsely claims that the last generation of saints will provide the greatest evidence of God's vindication. And finally, as we mentioned earlier, it tends to focus our attention inadvertently on ourselves instead of putting it on Jesus. So, let's summarize where we've been today. And again, I don't claim that that this one presentation will instantly change your mind if you've been convinced otherwise, but I hopefully it's given you some things to think about. And I'd be happy to share numerous resources with you if you want to study more. I believe that though God is calling his people in all generations to holy living, we are saved only by the blood and the grace of Christ. Amen? Amen? I believe we can be perfect and complete at every stage of development in and through the work of Christ. Next, on the cross and through his life, it was Jesus who defeated Satan and he vindicated God's character at the cross and through his life. And those in the last generation are ordinary people, but they have an extraordinary Savior, just as all people in all generations have had, whether they lived in the Old Testament or the New Testament times or anywhere in between, all will get there by the blood of Jesus. I'd like to go back to Sam. We were reading some of his testimony as we began. I'd like to share a little bit more. He said, I now see Christianity as a relationship. Because God is love, he has created for us a relationship with him. This is our purpose, he writes. It's why we exist. Since we're born on a rebellious planet, God's primary objective is to win our hearts. He wants us to trust him. However, when we give God our hearts, we still have the weaknesses of the flesh. Even though our hearts are right in the right place, we still mess up. When we fail because of the flesh, we do not lose our salvation. We haven't turned our back on God. We love God. We want to do what's right. And when we get a new body at the resurrection without any weaknesses, we will not be rebelling in heaven. It's because God has won our hearts. We trust him. We love him. Sam continues. He says, it's like a marriage. I'm not a perfect husband, he admits. I make mistakes that hurt my wife. However, because I love my wife... I'm sorry when I mess up. I don't want to hurt her. When I mess up, I'm still married to her. I haven't turned my back and walked away. We're still in a relationship. If 
final paragraph from Pastor Sam. He says, When we're in a relationship with God, our sins are covered by Christ's blood until the end. If God has won our hearts, we will get a flawless body when Jesus comes. That's when our new hearts will be finally compatible with our bodies, because our, our bodies will also be new. Am I trying to make excuses for sin? Not at all. In fact, the harder I tried to overcome sin, the more I failed and became discouraged. Now that I find when the focus on my relationship is with Jesus, the sins that seemed so appealing before start to lose their power in his presence. It's miraculous. It reminds me of the words of that song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his what? His wonderful face. And then the things of this world will strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The last generation, as with all generations, will be saved only by the blood of Jesus and the grace that he has accomplished and provided for us. In future weeks, we'll look at some more questions that are related to this topic, but uh, you may have questions. I invite you to talk to me afterward, make an appointment to talk with me. I'll be happy to share more. But let's bow our heads and thank our wonderful Savior. Dear Jesus, dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can be complete and perfect in you each moment through what you've provided for us. Lord, when we fall down, when we make mistakes, help us to keep getting back up again through your power. Thank you for the forgiveness that you provide us. And may we represent your love and your character to this world. Give us opportunities to share with others how good you are. Because we believe you're coming back. We believe it'll be soon. We don't know when that will be, but we believe you're going to return. And we can't wait to see you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.